I think the four-day work week movement is both too ambitious and not ambitious enough. We are about to run out of work, my friends. And if we all keep working four days a week, there's going to be jobs for like seven people and a billion robots. Um, yes. And if we want there to be jobs for like nine people, half a billion <laughs> robots. I mean, there are people right now in law school taking out expensive loans for legal jobs that are going to disappear before they have their loans paid off, I fear. If you're mostly interacting with your colleague via text message, do you really care that your colleague is a person? Are you tired of working five days a week? Welcome to this week's episode of Future Work. Today, I have the honor to welcome Alexandra Samuel, a speaker, data journalist, and the co-author of Remote Inc. How to Thrive at Work Wherever You Are. Alex holds a PhD from Harvard University, and her writing on work and productivity appear frequently in the Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review. In this episode, we talk about the problem with Fridays, the challenges of a four-day work week, which jobs AI will take over, and how to become a business of one. So let's dive in. Hey, Alexandra, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. So you wrote an article about the problem with Friday. So let's talk about what are the problems with Fridays and are we finally getting our four-day work week? So in the problem of Fridays, what we really try and tackle is this question of the ambiguity of Friday. Is it still a regular work day where people should come to the office just like any other day? You know, yeah. it's time for return to office time for a return to normality? Or is Friday now de facto part of the weekend, particularly in organizations that are moving to a four-day week? Can we hmm. say that Friday is now weekend? The four-day week is Monday to Friday. Clearly, the data shows that people prefer Friday to be there out of office day, even if they're working from home. We yeah. could say, yeah. even, even in a five-day week organization, Fridays are you know a home day. And then, and that's really the third option that I ended up um, advocating to some degree in the article, which is, okay, we're not, maybe we're not ready to go to a four-day week, and nobody wants to go back to the office five days a week if they can avoid it. Yeah. So can we make Friday somewhere in between? Can Friday be a day where if you have a flexible workforce, if you have a hybrid workforce, perhaps you can even close the office on Fridays because mm. nobody wants that to be their office day. Friday can be a work from home day. Friday can be a concentrate on the stuff you need to do without getting interrupted day. If mm. we say that phone calls and meetings don't get booked for Fridays. And and I think that that, you know, and, and then also maybe it's the day you see a dentist, right? If, <laughs> if you know you're not going to have meetings, if you know you're not going to have um, Zooms and so on, maybe it's the day you can take care of some personal things. Maybe if you've really gotten your work done over the course of the week, you know, this is you know sacrilegious. Maybe you're going to even take some personal time on Friday. That would be the interesting question, right? So does that then lead us into, okay, kind of where we're basically tapering off work and we're kind of getting ready for maybe having that four-day work week? So here's my challenge with the four-day work week, which is I think the four-day work week movement is both too ambitious and not ambitious enough. Mm. It's too ambitious in the sense that not everyone can get their work done in four days. And, mm. you know, people pace their work really differently. And I think I've become very aware of this through building a business and, and working side by side with my husband. And we always joke, like in every respect, 
we're like the tortoise and the hare. And I- I'm the hare. That is to say, I run fast out of the gate and then I'm like wiped out on the field. <laughs> he like gets going in the morning and just sort of ticks along. And, hmm. you know, by by the end, by four o'clock, I'm like lying in a coma on the sofa staring at the ceiling, <laughs> unable to move. And he just like keeps on going and he works until midnight. Right. And, you know, if you put us head to head at 11 in the morning, my 11 to 12 probably gets twice as much done. But mm. I'm then I'm I'm wiped out. And I think that the problem with the four day work movement is it mm. treats us like we are all paced the same. But yeah. you know what? Some of us burn fast and collapse. Some of us tick, tick, tick. And there is no one right way it's like different metabolisms different personalities Mm. so in that sense i feel like it's utterly unrealistic Mm. to think that a four-day work week works for everybody because some people can't even fit their work into five days five days yeah yeah exactly yeah and then the the alternately the way i feel like it's not ambitious enough is Mm. it still keeps us tethered to this idea that the number of days of work in the week Tell you do anything meaningful about what mm. someone is getting accomplished. And frankly, I think it's still, I think it sets expectations for output and volume of work in the wrong place for the new world of work. Because we are about to run out of work, my friends. And if we all keep working four days a week, there's going to be jobs for like seven people and a billion robots. Um, yes. And if we want there to be jobs for like nine people and half a billion <laughs> robots, we might need to scale back to three days a week um, and reconceive our ideas of how much work constitutes a full-time job. Yeah, there's something really interesting there in that it's really about the output and no matter when you do that work, as long as you create something valuable, um, and then obviously the age of AI is upon us, uh, I think, quicker than we, we thought yeah. even even a year ago. Yeah. H- how oh, do you yeah. see the world of work changing? Yeah, if you're kind of getting into that direction. So let's just talk about AI and how that's going to change the way that we work. It's already changed the way we work, right? We've already hmm. seen people harness AI to the work of expediting routine tasks. Yeah. Um, and I think the really profound change that is we're just starting to see is we're we're used to the idea of technology displacing manually. Hmm. We are not used to seeing technology displace white collar labor and highly specialized professional hmm. labor. True. I mean, there are hmm. people right now in law school taking out expensive loans for legal jobs that are going to disappear before they have their loans paid off, I fear. And, mm. and that same may be true for medical school. The same may certainly is going to be true for engineering, you know, computer programming, you know, nerds like me who thought it was useful to know how to write a sentence. Mm. And I use the word class advisedly. But the truth is, it's not just professional people, right? There's a whole mm. cultural and social structure built around the idea that if you get enough education, you get to sit at the top of the pyramid. That is going away very, very quickly. Yeah. And so I think that we are going to see so much change so quickly in what AIs are able to do Hmm. that when I hear people say things like, oh, you have to invest in innovation skills, you have to invest in creativity, you need to Hmm. learn to work with intuition and really lean into 
the things that are uniquely human. My reaction is that sounds like a good idea. That might buy you like six more months. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the, these things are evolving. I'm not very confident that there's yeah. anything humans can do that people are going to continue to want to pay for, except possibly things that are like physical. Yeah, that's the whole point of like, this is moving way too fast for us to make any predictions a couple yeah. years out, let alone, you know, decades out. Elon Musk was just in the news again because he said to uh, the UK's PM that all jobs will wiped out. And then you look at some reports like Goldman Sachs did reports this year, McKinsey did report this year. They're all saying, well, it's only going to affect certain jobs and certain other jobs. But is it really possible for us to predict that at this moment? I truly believe it is not possible, hmm. um, partly because the AIs themselves, of course, are contributing to the acceleration of innovation in a way that we can't anticipate or forecast. So yeah. the things I have done in the past year, I mean, I, I actually just had a piece come out in the journal today about what I've learned from my first year working with AI. And I mean, I've broken every one of my own professional barriers this year. And well, maybe not everyone. I'm sure I'll break more. But, you know, all these things that I didn't think I could do, I do now routinely, like programming. Huh. I never wrote my own, I didn't write my own tools. I built, I mean, I was pretty hackery and I would build a lot of complicated, you know, no code workflows yeah. and so on. But I wouldn't like, like, I wrote my own Firefox extension to replace something that Amazon pulled out of its stack. And I, mean, I would never have thought about doing that a year ago. And so, you know, when you realize how much has changed in year one, hmm. where, all the AI is working from is is really the people and the first generation, couple of generations that went into it. Yeah. Like by generation seven, where yeah. the AIs themselves are feeding and teaching people how to make more AIs, like who the hell knows what's going to happen? And so and that's only going to accelerate you know, too. Yeah, and I don't want to discourage people. I think it's yeah. still absolutely worth thinking ahead and thinking yeah. like, what do I do that's uniquely human? Like, like the the sad truth is probably. I feel quite replaceable by AIs in a lot of respects. I really do like huh. the things that I do. Like I'm an I'm a techie and I'm a writer, and they're uh -huh. pretty good at writing. They're pretty good at writing, and they're pretty good at teching. And that's now. So imagine that you know extrapolate that a couple of years into the future. Yeah, yeah. So honestly, like myself, the only thing I do for a living that I feel like because I have kind of three careers, right? I'm a writer. I'm a mm. speaker. I'm a data scientist slash you know data journalist the mm. only piece of that that i really do not see ai being able to replace is the speaking right this is why nick bloom said that actually the hybrid work will work out better than remote yes. work because that's the one yes. thing the bots cannot do they cannot show up in an absolutely. office in person absolutely yeah. <laughs> absolutely and and you know conversely i wrote a piece a few months ago for jstor daily where mm. i argued that you know hybrid work really kind of set the table for our transition to ai because you know five years ago we all were so invested in in-person conversation and these years of remote work have really trained us to conduct more and more of our interaction over email over slack over teams mm -hmm. and at a certain point if you're mostly interacting with your colleague via text message do you really care that your colleague colleague is a person or are you happy if your questions are answered by a friendly bot like i i think we have really taught ourselves mm -hmm. to in some ways make the most of ai but also to accept a, a lack of human contact in a way that yeah you know a hundred years ago when the robots rule us all, our, our great-great-grandchildren may live to yeah. regret. 
the more you digitize, obviously, the more that uh, AI can can benefit, and that could be to yeah. our own own detriment. So, if you were an emerging leader right now, you're mid career, you're trying to make, you know, you're trying to cr- climb the ladder, you're trying to make progress. That's pretty spooky, and not everyone has three careers, <laughs> right? Most most people just have one. What what would you oh, do? What would you no, do? No, no, no. Okay, nobody's gonna have one. Nobody even has one now. Mm. And okay, we're seeing let's, let's that, talk right? about that. People yeah. are changing careers more and more. Yeah. So like truly, truly the most important skill is the ability to learn, change, adapt, right? You you need to be able to say, well, right now I find myself as a data journalist, but mm. I guess the robots just figured out how to do that. So I'm going to do something else now yeah. and I'm going to sit down with you know, an AI and want to learn how to do this new thing. So quickly moving ahead of the speed of AI, basically, and being agile enough to yeah. be on the and next. Not, and not, and to decouple your identity from your job title and to recognize that like your job title is like maybe like your winter coat, you know, you'd like it to last more than one season, but you're not expecting it to last the rest of your life. Hmm. And so learning to reinvent yourself and just tr- just accepting that that is the nature of work now, I think hmm. is really crucial. And then I think for those who are in, you know, leadership roles, that is to say, and, and that doesn't mean being a CEO, it means like managing a team of four people, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, it's your job to also m- mentor and cultivate that relationship and that capacity within your team. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just gobsmacked by the number of organizations and the number of managers who are banning their employees from using AI. And I'm like, so so what you want is to see them replaced by AI because that's yeah. really the choice, right? It's like, either they learn how to use it and yeah. they get more valuable yeah. and they, you know, and each of the four people on your team creates 20 times the value for your company of what they're creating now, hmm. What quite possibly while working less and having a nicer life. Or those four people get replaced by AIs that do twice what they do for a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the cost. And but this is a little think... bit like head in the sense, you know, if we just ignore that AI is coming, yeah. then things will be fine. And to have some empathy here, I think there's two really big forces that are preventing people from making these, maybe three. I mean, one is it's hmm. hard to be that forward-thinking leader if your organization is paranoid about AI. And, and and for good reason, like there's a lot of data privacy considerations that go into it. And so, you know, unless your organization is creating kind of like a, a safe container for AI, it's hard to cultivate that capacity in your employees. So that's one obstacle. Another obstacle is that like, if you're running super hard trying to get your day-to-day job done, there's no room for people to learn. You're going to tell them to spend their week. Yeah. I mean, I'm a freak. Like I yeah. spent, you know, I spent two weeks earlier this year taking my Playbill collection and turning it into a, you know, an online database that I figured out how to build in a, in a really cool way with the okay. help of an AI. And I like built yeah. my own, you know, but most yeah. people are not going to take two weeks out of their job to build a Playbill collection, right? And no. so, unless again, their manager or their company encourages them to because they understand it as an essential skill for the future. So that's it, right? So that's yeah. the second thing is the organization and the team has to make space for people, like serious space, not like a go do it on your evening. It's like actually a day a week now is going to sp- be spent experimenting with AI. Two hours yeah. a day is going to be spent experimenting with AI. But that brings us to the third thing, hmm. 
which is, I think, the hardest obstacle, at least for me personally, is that mm. it is like you have to sit with the cold terror of how overwhelming and massive this change really is. Like yeah. I, every time I sit down to try and expand my AI knowledge, there's like, I want to look at three new things that I heard about. And in the course of looking at the three node things, I discovered 30 new things and, and 15 of the 30 new things have capacities that I don't even begin to understand and flip my lid and I'm like so overwhelmed that I just want to yeah. go hide in a hole. This is what most people face. Yeah. It's too much. It's too new. It's too fast. Yeah. It's too overwhelming. Okay, so let's switch from very existential threats to your wonderful book, Remote Inc. That's right behind you. Thank you. And maybe oh, yeah. a slightly related topic. In the book, you write about being a business of one and how that okay. would influence how you tackle topics like hybrid work, but maybe even AI. So maybe can you share a little yes. bit about that? In the pre-pandemic world where people were mostly working or said, we were really used to functioning with the team as the fundamental unit and, yeah. and to thinking of ourselves as kind of, you know, a collection of Lego that inter was interlocking and that we all worked in this very, you know, collaborative way. Once you're working from home, it becomes much less efficient to work in a way that is collaborative in the sense that that collaboration hmm. worked in that previous world. The office had a real comparative advantage for collaboration because you, you always had somebody you could ask ask that mm -hmm. question of if you needed to meet the friction of it like there was no like you know you're not you're not sitting at the boardroom table saying wait you're on mute wait you're on mute right like <laughs> these, these online meetings are frustrating and and we lose a lot yeah on the other hand the office sucked for focused work like part of the reason we had meetings all the time is because what was the point in not having a meeting if you're sitting at your desk someone's interrupting you and you know, I, I'm I'm really struck when I talk to organizations about this transition to hybrid work, as as I do frequently. Everybody complains about two things: they complain about missing the spontaneity of the office, and they complain mm. about how when they go to the office, they're constantly interrupted. <laughs> These are the same thing, right? Yes. It's the same yeah, exact yeah, thing. Yeah. I want to ask you a question when I want to ask you a question, and I want you to be right beside me so I can ask it. But yeah. God forbid you should have a question that you want to ask me because then you're interrupting exactly. me. Exactly. I'm trying to focus. Yeah. So, right. You know, I think that the beauty of hybrid work is we get to separate those. We get to say, this is the day where I'm available. This is the day where I ask my questions. And this is the day where I actually get to put my head down and focus and, um, and tackle these big thinking tasks that are really, really hard to do if you get interrupted every 10 minutes. Hmm. And so once you move, to having real time available for focus work. Mm. Once you have a context where you actually can think a thought for 45 minutes at a time or maybe even four yes. hours at a time, yeah. then it changes the kind of relative balance and effectiveness of collaborative mm. versus solo work. And it becomes much more efficient for us as a team to think, less like Lego where you have to all click together to become something and more like a kind of intellectual or virtual assembly line where I do my piece, I hand it to you, you do mm. your piece, you hand it back to me. And the pieces of work are kind of discrete, separate tasks mm. that get passed in stages from one person to the next. 
course, there are moments where we need to actually be connected in real time, but not as much as we're used to. Hmm. And to make that transition, um, you have to take a lot more responsibility for your hmm. pieces. You have to stop waiting for the boss to say, hey, you know, Alex and Dan, you need to do this together. And instead say, you know, actually, Dan, I'm going to do this thing and then I'll send it to you and you give me your feedback and move it forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what we advocate in the book as a way of, of reframing your outlook and your relationship towards mm. your work in this new framework mm. is to think of yourself less like an employee who's taking orders from the boss and whose time is being dictated on a day to day mm. basis by the, the team and more like you know, a, a one person business because your, your home office is, is the, is the yes. workplace now. Welcome to my HQ. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's your job hmm. to organize your work and deliver great outcomes to your client where your client is your boss or your colleague who's waiting for the hmm. first draft of the report or waiting for hmm. the data or whatever it is they're waiting for. But it's that level of of autonomy and also that level of like responsibility and accountability for what you're mm. delivering that shifts when you start thinking of yourself not as a cog in a machine mm. but as an independent agent responsible for what you are uh, taking on and responsible for what you're delivering and how would you affect because i think that's what ideally every manager wants right that people take a lot of responsibility, that they feel that they have autonomy in their work. How would you affect that in a, in a team? So if you have people reporting into you, how do you kind of make that transition? So the first thing is, I actually don't think that's what every manager wants. I think a lot of managers do mm. not want that at all. And I think part of the reason we have seen a push for a return to the office is that as employees have stepped into that more autonomous role and as employees have proven yeah. in many, many cases that they're actually quite effective at getting their work done totally without fine. someone breathing down their neck, yeah. it, it kind of calls into question the value that many managers contribute. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong, there are plenty of managers who do contribute value. Mm -hmm. But if you are the kind of manager whose value was, if I'm not watching them, they're not working. If that's your philosophy, then yeah, you do not have a lot of value in a hybrid workforce. And unless you bring your people back to the office. Yeah, where you can manage by walking around and looking yeah. over the shoulder and uh, giving micro feedback. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that the managers who believe in breathing down someone's back and that, mm. you know, I got to keep an eye on them, make sure they're delivering, those managers are profoundly threatened yeah. by the shift to hybrid work and are driving the return to the office out of their own personal fear and like lack of faith in their teeth. Yeah. And speaking of roles that can be taken over by AI, right? AI is probably going to be the best middle manager ever if it's about well, just controlling no, no, the output no. of work. And I think that is a very real and horrific prospect. And I cannot discourage organizations. Well, no, I mean, you know, I read an article a number of months ago that said 70% of employees are now subjected to virtual surveillance when they're working remotely. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. terrifying. Yeah. The number's probably going to go up. And again, it, it you know, it, it is a result of us conflating activity with output yeah. and us conflating output with value. The hours you spend at your desk do not determine the value you contribute to your organization mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for for most white collar jobs. There's certainly yeah. there are certainly roles where it does, but there are a lot of roles where a brilliant hour is worth 
25 plotting hours. And oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Your job as a manager is how do you enable that one brilliant hour? What do you, yes. How do you help yes. your employees feel like they can get up from their screen, feel like yeah. they can leave an email unanswered yeah. so that they do the full picture renewal that turns them into like a live, exciting spark instead of a cog. So that's the, the the coaching part, right? That's the part of like getting the most and the best out of everyone and believing yeah. that you can do something amazing. And I'm just here to enable that. Um, and I did an interview yeah. with, with Edie Goldberg a couple of weeks ago where we talked about that idea of like, maybe we need to split the manager of people and the manager of work, right? The manager of work that can be done maybe automatically, maybe by an AI, that but that managing of people and getting the most out of them, that is still a very yeah. human task. Yeah, I think the kind of coaching and mentoring side of it, um, I don't know if it's, I mean, I wouldn't split it literally. Like I, I would love to see, I mean, speaking personally, one of the things I know about myself as a manager is I'm fabulous mm. at the coaching, mentoring piece of it. I am barely able to keep track of my own task list, let alone, you know, manage all the interrelated mm. dependencies. As soon as you're into Gantt chart world, I'm like, please find me a real project manager. Um, you know, and yet you need those pieces to work synergistically, Mm -hmm. right? You need to have the flow of work informed by a deep appreciation for who has which talents and where somebody might need a little bit of a pull in order to grow. Yeah. I just watched the Charters Workplace Summit and Jared Spatero from from Microsoft was talking about how he's using AI because they had access to Copilot about nine months before the official launch. And he was saying, like, yeah. those are the kind of things, like tracking tasks and reading emails and attending meetings. Like, those are the kind of things yeah. that I basically tap into AI for. And then I have the time to talk to people and to, you know, focus on the creative part of work, which hopefully then yeah. maybe we'll even unlock uh, Friday here or there. I think there's so much more to discover, but uh, you know we try to keep these uh, these episodes uh, short and concise. So maybe just to close out, like uh, after we've talked about all the things, all the impending doom, what's a what's a wish you have for the future of work? I mean, I I actually think we're on the verge of a, a beautiful transformation in the nature of work because the old workplace is gone; like it's just over. Hmm. People may not have fully noticed or accepted that yet. Yeah, but, but they will. AI is going to ensure that they do. Mm-hmm. And there may be terribly painful processes of transition. Those are fundamentally kind of social and economic choices. I hope that businesses uh, and employers will play a responsible role in it participating in a conversation about how we ensure that you can have a good life without working for yeah. 40 hours a week. Yeah. But if we can solve the sort of distributive problem, the justice side, mm. the question of how people can have a living, I mean, we are in a moment where we can really rethink how much of our lives are spent on work and how much of our work is spent on tedious stuff. Because, you know, the AIs, bless their hearts, they don't care about tedious. They really don't mind, as yeah, far as I can tell. Maybe, ev- maybe eventually it'll turn out they really mind, and that's where we'll get into trouble. But so far, it seems yes. like they don't mind. That would be and, a deep grudge. Okay, right? It's like imagine a revolution of interns. The opportunity for us to get to a point where we're tapping the power of AI to accomplish way more in terms of mm. value, in terms of output, yeah. 
in way with way less actual hour uh, so that we see that our 40 hour our notional 40 hour a week job is like five hours at your desk yeah and 30 hours of walking with your friend on the beach and going to cocktail parties with other people who may or may not be in your industry and like doing pottery classes and jamming with your band and you know taking your kid hiking because we honestly don't know where the inspiration is going to come from where the energy is going to come from and so I believe that we have the potential to enter a new world of work where we mm. stop with this ridiculous binary of work versus life yeah. and recognize that the human work, that is to yeah. say the work that, that is not done by AI, requires whole humans. Yeah. And whole humans, the job of being a whole human is not a job that can be done in the two hours between your commute and bedtime. The job of being a whole human is a full-time job that leaves a little bit of room for you to sometimes sit at your desk and give the next task to an AI. Okay, that sounds like a future we can all believe in. Alex, thanks so much for being on. Thank you. That was my conversation with Alexandra Samuel, the Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review writer and co-author of the best-selling book, Remote Inc. Here are the key lessons that I took away that we can apply in our jobs to stay ahead in the future of work. One, a new way to Friday. Fridays have become ambiguous. Is it still a work day? Alexandra highlights three solutions. Going back to the office, creating a three-day weekend, or as she advocates for, an in-between where the office closes and no meetings are scheduled so that you can better balance work and life. Number two, the challenges of a four-day work week. Alexandra believes that on the one hand, it's too ambitious because some of us don't even finish our work in five days and that it's not ambitious enough because the number of workdays or hours don't necessarily equate to productivity or value. Number three, the impact of AI on work. Alex shares the huge impact AI already has and will have, including the displacement of white-collar jobs. Adaptability and continuous learning are essential for us to participate in an AI-driven future of work. Decouple your identity from your work and think about your current role as a winter coat. You'd expect it to last maybe a few seasons, but not your entire life. Number four, managers and AI. Leaders should cultivate a sense of adaptability in their teams and empower them to succeed in an AI-driven future of work. For this, three obstacles have to be removed. Number one, companies need to allow AI to be used at work. Number two, you need to have time to experiment. And number three, you have to become one with the fact that AI is hard to learn and that it develops quickly. And the last point, becoming a business of one. Rather than trying to force collaboration in remote settings, think less like an employee and more like a business that delivers excellent outcomes to your clients. As managers, enable your team to deliver that one brilliant hour of work that trumps 25 mediocre ones. This means giving them time for renewal and coaching them to get the most out of it. And Alex's final thought, we're on the verge of a beautiful transformation in the nature of work. We're in a moment where we can rethink how much of our lives is spent at work and how much of our work is spent on tedious stuff. Because the AIs don't care about tedious, they really don't mind. Join me again in two weeks as I welcome Rebecca Hintz, a PhD leading research efforts at Asana, 
to create a better world of work. It's a data-filled episode that surely will get you thinking. For the latest updates on this podcast, go to flexos.work slash futurework and subscribe.